All right, we are uh, turning now to God's Word, and uh, we're looking at Colossians, starting in uh, chapter 1, verse 24. This is the Apostle Paul writing uh, to the church in Colossae. This is the Word of the Lord. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of knowledge and the, uh, of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, uh, we are so grateful that you are a good God who is a God on mission, and your mission has reached each one of us that you would, you would call us into your, your family, the church, and you'd adopt us and call us your children. And Lord, we are uh, so delighted that you would also make us partners with you in your mission to the nations. And here we are in this corner of the world in Bellingham and Whatcom County. We want to be useful to you and and you know the gifts that you've given to each one of us and to us as a community. And, and um, teach us what it means to join with you in, in your mission in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, this Sunday in a third uh, sermon, a sermon, four-part sermon series on community. And we're looking at different passages uh, from the Bible that teach us about, about what's unique about the Christian community and the church. In the first Sunday, we talked about worship, what we're doing here on Sunday mornings, how this forms us from many scattered people into a unified body. And then last week, we talked about hospitality. Hospitality is, is when... Uh, out, outsiders, people outside of a family get to be brought into a family and enjoy the benefits of being a part of that family. Now God's brought us all in. And so we too need to be people like God who are welcoming the outsider in. Well, uh, today we're going to be talking about um, mission. 
that the church is a community with a mission. And um, I think that, that's important because for many of us, when we hear the word community, what comes to mind for us is a, is a pretty informal gathering of friends who, you know, we all know each other and love each other and we want to hang out with our friend group. That's what the picture that comes to mind when we think of community. And, um, but, you know, kind of an informal group of people who get along with each other is not the kind of group that really makes an impact on the world. Uh, you know, if you want to make an impact on the world, you have to be organized. You have to use people's gifts. And, and actually, that's the way that the Bible talks about the church. Actually, in this passage I just read to you, the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. And you see in, in chapter 2, verse 5 there, where he says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And the two words that are translated there for order and firmness are, were military words from, uh, uh, from the ancient world. And so what Paul is saying, you know, military has their ordering and everyone's, all the soldiers are falling into rank and they have firmness to stand against the, the, their enemies that they're fighting against. And so uh, what Paul envisions here is that the church is like an army. You know, it's not an army that's fighting and killing people. It's an army of love and an army of love your neighbor and see the truth of Christ. But, but we're still organized like an army. It's disciplined. It's orderly. It has a hierarchy. It has a clear mission and purpose. And he wants us to fall into our ranks and play our part in the mission. And it tells us that we are in a spiritual war. There is a, a spiritual war that, against sin and evil and darkness in the world. And I think most of us sense that we're in a spiritual war individually. We feel that within ourselves, the, the spirit and the flesh are at war within us. And, we're, and, and you know, how do we fight that spiritual war? Well, it takes intentionality. And, you know, we have discipline in our lives of, of coming to church and meeting with God's people and reading the scriptures and praying. There's an orderliness and intentionality individually. That's true for us as a community as a whole. It takes order and discipline and, and structure to say, what is our purpose to fight the spiritual battle that is around us? And so you might say that this sermon is a defense of organized religion. And many people say, I don't believe in organized religion. I don't like organized religion. But we need to be organized. If we are going to, to do the good that God wants us to do in the world, if we're going to join with God in his purpose. And the Bible, Paul says here, I rejoice to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And so today I, I want to point out five things from this passage about what it means to be a church on mission. What does it look like to be a missional church? And this is what the five things are, is that a missional church is centered on Christ, is an institution from God that teaches people, is outward focused, and is knit together in love. These are the five things, that a missional church is centered on Christ, is an institution from God that teaches people and is uh, outward focused and knit together in love. And I'll tell you that it is, I think, the people who will experience the richest community in the church are the people who say, you know what, I'm a part of this mission and I know my role in it and I'm going to play my role in it. And as you play your role in the, in the mission, you experience community. So five things on the missional church today. And the first is this, that a missional church is centered 
on the person of Jesus. The missional church is Christ-centered. And one of the things you'll see in this passage I just read to you is Jesus is constantly mentioned throughout the passage. So you see there in verse 24, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. So Paul says the whole shape of his ministry was he was imitating Christ. He's doing what Christ, Christ suffered, he suffered. And then you see he says in verse 27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The whole message that's being made known to the world is Christ in us, that we can have Christ's life living in us. And then in, in chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 2 there, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The whole passage is saying to us, Jesus, return to Jesus, be shaped by Jesus. The message is Jesus over and over. And the center of everything we do is Christ. I think that's important because, you know, any organization has a tendency to shift away from its original purposes. It's called mission creep, right? Actually, mission creep is a word that comes from military languages where there'd be a military group who had a certain objective and then they still exist even though that objective is, isn't even focus, focused on anymore. We have a clear objective. And what is our objective as a church? Well, it tells us in verse 28, him we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus to, to the world. And that's what our church's mission statement says. Our church's mission statement says that we exist to proclaim the excellencies of God in Bellingham and throughout the world. That comes from 1 Peter 2, where Peter says about the church that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own treasured possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Who's the one who called us out of, out of darkness into his marvelous light? That's Jesus. So we exist to proclaim Christ. That's why the church exists. That's why every Sunday when we come here, every sermon's ultimately about Jesus. And I've had some people say, you know, if we ever have a sermon that doesn't end about Jesus, people are like, what was going on there? This is that we're preaching Christ. And if I didn't hear him, something went wrong. Actually, I was talking to the, the Nichols family. They, they just became members of our church. And they were saying that they went to another church where Jesus wasn't talked about in the sermon. And the kids, they were like grammar school age kids. And they were like, you know what, Jesus wasn't mentioned in that sermon. What, something's not right there, you know. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. They're picking up. The message is Christ himself. And um, I remember about 10 years ago, going, I went to a conference, uh, and it was about the mission of the church. It was about 5,000 young people that were at this, this conference. And, and all, there, was a, there was a band playing, and they started chanting over and over again, we can change the world. We can change the world. We can change the world. And you hear that and you think, no, you can't change the world. I, I can't change the world. You can't change the world. We can't even change the world. Jesus can change the world. Jesus has changed the world over and over again over the last 2,000 years. He's continuing to change the world. We can change a little piece of the world that he's entrusted to us, the little piece that we're responsible for. We're partners with him but the world changer is Jesus, and so it is him that we proclaim. And so the first thing about a missional church is that we are centered on Christ. He is our first love, and we never move on from that. 
And we have a small piece of the world that Jesus has entrusted to us. And so the question is, what are we supposed to do in our small piece of the world given to us? Well, this is the second thing about a missional church. So a missional church is Christ-centered. Second, a missional church is an institution from God. A missional church is an institution from God. Now, when you hear the word institution, I don't know what comes to mind for you, but for me, I, it, it sounds kind of like a dead bureaucracy is what a, you know, it's, it's something that's very impersonal, it's ineffective, and when we think about what we want in a church, we're like, I want something alive. I want something where there's love and there's connection and intimacy and people know each other and we're walking together. There's relationship and there's joy. And institution doesn't say those things uh, to me. We want something that feels like a family. Well, a family is an institution. Family has clear boundary lines. There's clear people who are in the family and not in the family. It has a hierarchy to it. There's the parents who are given the authority. There's rules in the family. You have to operate according to the rules. And that's what makes for a healthy family. That's what, actually all communities are institutions. If you're in a book club, you know, there's rules in the book club, right? There's certain people that are in the book club and you got to show up and you have to read the book that was assigned. If you read a book that wasn't assigned, you're not going to be able to be in the discussion. You have to fall. And and, and the ones that are most enduring have, you know, it's still, there's relationship, but there's rules there. And so we have to get out of our minds that institutions are bad. Institutions are either alive or dead. They're either doing their purpose or they've lost their purpose. And you can see how Paul talks about himself in the church in this passage. That at the end of verse 24, he says, The church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And you see that word minister there, diaconess. It's the word deacon. Paul says, I was a deacon in the church. And the word stewardship, it's the administration. There's an administration to the church. And so we have a leader in the church, it's Jesus. And he has officers who work under him. We have elders and deacons. We have leading men and women who take responsibility over, over the church. And then we're all playing a part in his kingdom in, in this great institution. We have rules that we live by. We are like a house with structure or a well-organized army with officers. And, you know, some of you have administrative gifts, and you, you love when things are running well. And here's your verse. Like Paul says the same thing. He says, I rejoice when I hear about your good order in the church. It just makes me so glad to hear everything's running well in the church. It's because we're an institution with structure. And, uh, by the way, you might say, oh, I'd love to play my role in this this community, this institution, how do I do that? Well, Jonathan's going to come up after the sermon. He's going to talk about ways that you could help us on Sunday mornings. We're all playing a part in this institution. So the church is an institution. But what is an institution? An institution is an organization whose mission is to form people. Institutions are things like schools and universities or nonprofits that have social programs that are focused on forming people. And right now in our society, there is a massive deterioration of institutions. And, you know, if I could say a word about this, we, we live in a, in a free society. And there have been different understandings about what, what it means to be free throughout history. In the ancient world, people said that what made you free was 
You, were, you, you learned virtue, and you learned goodness, and you were able to self-govern yourself. You know, your passions didn't just run wild, and you, you could govern your own passions yourself, so you didn't need someone else, who, you know, a tyrant who's going to come and make you do, but you just acted as a citizen. And, um, but in the modern definition of freedom, freedom means that I should be able to do what I want. That's a really different definition, self-governance versus I should be able to do what I want. And, and actually, both the political left and right can tend to think that freedom just means I, I should be able to do what I want. And that's why our culture is so obsessed with politics, because we believe that the, it's the, the, the government that secures our rights to do what we want. Now, the left and the right have different things, different rights that they want protected, and that's okay but it's as if the only things that matter anymore in our culture are the state and the individual. And what's disappearing is the local institutions that historically were used to shape and to cultivate the citizens of the people in goodness. How do you learn not just what my rights are, but what goodness is? What is human flourishing? What is a beautiful life? Where do you learn that? And for centuries, for millennia, the main institution that has formed people in their communities is the church. And why is the church so important in society? Well, Paul tells us here in verse 25, again, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship that comes from God. It's the, the church is the institution from God that he's putting in every nation, in every culture, in every community in, around the world to form people. And so a missional church is a Christ-centered institution devoted to forming people. Okay, but how do we form people? How does the church form people? Well, that's our third point, is that a missional church teaches. A missional church teaches people. And the church, from its inception, has been a teaching church. And actually, I've been reading a, a history of, uh, of Christianity and, and recently that was talking about Alcuin, who was a, a bishop in the, in the 8th and 9th centuries, who was a close friend uh, and advisor to Charlemagne. Charlemagne was, has been considered the father of Europe. He, had, he really laid the foundations for the next thousand years of the society that, that developed in Europe. And, uh, and Charlemagne, when he first came into power, there were the barbarians living in, in Europe uh, during the 8th century, were a brutal people. And so he would come to, you know, different people groups and say, hey, listen, you can't act like this. You either baptize and change your life or you're going to die. And so he's, you know, converting people with the sword. And Alcuin, his bishop, came and said, you know, that's, probably, that's not how you want to convert people to Christianity is by putting a sword to them. And, uh, and Alcuin said to him that faith arises from the will and not from compulsion. And Charlemagne took his advice. And he changed his policies. And, uh, and one of the things that was Charlemagne's favorite thing to do is sit in a hot bath with his bishop. And they would talk about theology. And, and together, they made this plan to educate the whole continent. And Alcuin wrote, for without knowledge, no one can do good. And this is really the seeds of what we know now as public education, is that they said everyone from the peasant all the way up to the emperor needs teaching. They need to learn how to live. We don't know how to live. And the church's mission has always been to teach people. Look at what it says in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
And you hear that there's, there's a moral formation that's happening there. It's a warning of everyone. Like, this is how you live. Don't do this. you got to act like this. Christ is showing us what it means to be human. And, uh, and then it says in chapter 2, verse 3, that about Jesus, that in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in Charlemagne's day, everyone turned to the church to learn how to live. How do you live your life? And the church taught people about all kinds of things, about how you live in life, how you do your work, how you do your family, how do you worship God, what do you believe about him, how do you teach people. All of these things came from the church. And it's the same, same thing that Jesus said at the end of, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew. After Jesus was raised from the dead and his final words to his disciples, he says, this is what your mission is. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. The mission is you baptize and you teach. Teach people how to live. And teach, so teaching and education are at the heart of our institution, which, you know, we're a Presbyterian church. Presbyterians are all into books and learning. And, and so that's really, that's kind of in our wheelhouse to be about education. And that's why we have, on Sunday morning, you sit and listen to, oh, I'm going to learn a lesson about the Bible, and I'm in a sermon. And we have discipleship groups where we get together and people read books and say, how do I apply theology into my life? And one of the first things that happened in our church was we start a school because we believe in education. you got to teach people. you got to form people. And, um, but I think that this has even broader implications for us. Um, I've been reading a book uh, recently by Ruby Payne, who has, she has a, a PhD and works with uh, uh, alleviating poverty around, in nations around the world. And she has a book called A Framework for Understanding Poverty. And in the beginning of the book, she says there are four things that people need to move out of poverty. Employment education, relationships with people that are different than who they grew up with, and hope for the future. You need employment, education, relationships with different kinds of people, and hope for the future. The last three of those things, education, relationships with different kinds of people, and hope for the future, are exactly what the church gives people. That's what the church has to offer. And so how do we take care of the underprivileged in our community. I think education and teaching is a part of that. Actually, there was a, a sister church of ours down in Tacoma, Faith Pres Presbyterian. Um, I was talking to their former pastor, and he said that several years ago, there were two members of their church who came to their elders and said, you know, we should start an ESL program. English is a second language program. And the elders weren't even thinking about this. This wasn't on their radar. And so they said, yeah, let's start that. And it's turned out to be one of the most effective ways that they've reached their community, cared for their community. It's built their reputation in the community. It's through education and teaching. I'm going to teach how to live. And so this picture of the church, teaching people inside, teaching people outside, leads to a fourth quality of a missional church. So this is what we've seen so far is that we are a Christ-centered institution centered uh, that from God that forms people by teaching them, but also, fourth, a missional church is outward-focused. A missional church is outward-focused. And this passage that we're reading uh, from Colossians is an interesting book. Uh, if you read Paul's other letters, the Apostle Paul wrote to churches in some of the major cities in the Mediterranean. He wrote to the church in Rome and the church in Corinth and the church in Ephesus. These were major cities. 
And then, but Colossae was not a major city. And, you know, it'd be kind of like if he was writing today where he would write to the church in Tokyo and the church in London and the church in New York. And then he wrote to the church in Bellingham. And people are like, oh, Bellingham. That, I didn't think Bellingham was important. But it was important to the people of the world, but it was important to God. And, uh, and the, the church in Colossae was planted by a young pastor named Epaphras who had studied under Paul, was trained under Paul. He was from Colossae, and then he went back to Colossae uh, to, to start this church with his, with his, uh, in his hometown. And um, one of the things that I think many Christians don't realize is that historians say that the church, for at least the first 200 years, maybe the first 400 years of the church, was largely Jewish. Because Paul went around the Mediterranean and he would go to the synagogues that were synagogues in all these cities. And he'd say, hey, you're, you're Jews, you believe the Old Testament, the Messiah has come. Some of them would believe and they'd form these churches and some wouldn't. And they'd stay, they'd stay in the synagogue. And so largely these were Jewish, Jewish people. And so, um, and so you'll notice what he says to this church plant in Colossae in verse 26. He says that the word of God is the mystery Hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, that's an outward focus. He's saying to primarily Jewish people, this hope is, is for you. It is for you, but it's also for the Gentiles who are the nations, the people that are outside. And that's saying to us, it's not just for us inside these walls, it's for those who are outside. And it's interesting how Paul thinks about the people who are on the outside that need to hear about Christ, need to learn how to live, need to learn about the love of Jesus, need to learn about the word of God. This is what he says in verse 26, the mystery that has been revealed to his saints. He says, this is for the saints that are outside. And you're like, oh, the saints that are outside. And then in verse 27, to them, God chose to make known. So there are people, certain people that are out in the world that God has chosen to make known the truth of Christ to. And you might think, and it sounds very narrow, that there are only certain chosen people that are out in the world that God has chosen that he's going to reveal who Christ is to. You know, isn't it for everyone? Well, it's not narrow at all because we don't know who the chosen people are. And so we're called and we tell everyone Hey, here's the gospel. Christ, here's the love of Christ. Jesus will turn no one away. Come to him. And we proclaim the word of God and we love our neighbor to all people. But it is God ultimately who will work in them to turn their hearts. We don't know who God's elect are. And that's, that's how all of us are. You know, if, if you became a Christian as an adult and you say, you know, I don't know why I started to believe in Jesus. I have friends who didn't believe in Jesus, but I do believe in Jesus. Why did that happen? It's because God worked in you. Or if you're a child who grew up in the church and you say, I don't know why I grew up in the church and I know my neighbor didn't grow up in the church. Why did that happen to me? It's because God placed you there. It's God who is ultimately doing this mission, who is doing the work. And I think the reason we need to know that is because of what Paul says in verse 29. Look at what he says it's like to be on mission a part of this mission. Listen to how he describes this. For this, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. If you're involved in 
the mission of the church and Jesus' mission in the world, it's going to feel like toil and a struggle. It's going to feel wearying. It's going to feel hard. Whether you're just trying to love a neighbor over a long period of time as a difficult person, you're like, i got to love this person. Or you're involved in a mystery that's really demanding, and you got to love people over a long time. It's toil and it's struggle. And the only way that that doesn't wear us down to death is we believe that it's God who's working, it's not us. And so that leads to our final point. It's so what we've said so far is that a missional church is a Christ-centered institution from God that forms people by teaching them and is outwardly focused not just on the people inside the church but also those outside and is gathering those who God has chosen because it's God who ultimately works in people's lives. But our last point is this, is that a missional church is knit together in love. A missional church is knit together in love. And you, you see that in verse 2. He's talking about the church in Laodicea and the church in Colossae, and he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. The missional church is a community of people whose hearts are knit together in love, which I think is a relief. Um, that God, even though we're sharing a God's mission, God wants us to enjoy our life together. It's not like he's just wearing us down. He wants us to be refreshed. And I think this adds something to what we said last week. If you were here last week, we were talking about how community and hospitality don't really go together because we think a community is like, well, I'm going to have my tight-knit group of friends. And that, you know, and hospitality means, no, I'm going to leave my tight-knit group of friends. I'm going to welcome in a stranger who I'm not tight-knit with and let them share in the tight-knittedness or whatever. And, um, um, but what Paul is saying here is that we actually also do need to enjoy the love of the people of God around us. We do need relationships. We do need people who pour into us. We do need to enjoy friendships. We need people who know us. And also, if we are inviting people in, we have to have something we're inviting them into. If we don't have relationships or love or community, how are we going to invite others into it? And so I think there's a balance here. One one of my uh, professors in seminary described it this way, that the church is a body, and a healthy body needs calories in and calories out. And if you're only putting calories out, it's only toil and struggle with no calories in, you're going to get sick, you're going to get weak, you're going to get worn down. But if you only have calories in and no calories out, you're, that's not going to be healthy either. And some of you might say, wow, I'm pouring out. I'm, there's a lot of calories going out and I need, I need calories in. The Lord says that's okay. That's good. He knows that. He wants you to have calories in. Some of you have cal- only calories in and no calories out. That's not healthy either. The mission that we are a part of is so huge. Even in this little piece of the world, there is so much work to do for God and his kingdom. And so how does a missional church resist becoming a place where people's lives are grinding down from the work and the service? And the first answer is that we ultimately believe that God is the one who is saving and changing people, not us. But we also need to know that we need love. And in this passage is, I think, one of the most profound verses about the Christian life in the, in the New Testament. And, it, and it's there in, in verse 6. Listen carefully to what Paul says. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you receive the Christ Jesus, when did you receive Christ Jesus as the Lord? It's when you realize I'm weak, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, I'm failing in my life, I feel like I'm in darkness, I'm sad, I'm depressed. 
All these things, and I turned to Jesus, and he welcomed me. He says, as you received him, as that it was when you first started, that's how you live your whole life. You never grow out of that. You never grow out of coming and saying, I'm weak and I'm broken and I need you to pour into me. I need my sins forgiven. I need to be washed. I need to be assured of your love. I need to be welcomed back in. I need you to say, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And we never grow out of saying that. And he never grows out of giving what we need. He never grows out of giving us grace, pouring his grace out upon us. As you receive Christ Jesus, when you are just a brand new sinner coming to Jesus, that's how you will come to him your whole life. And that's who we are as a community. And it's this ongoing love and grace that he shows us. That's the thing that knits us together in love. The love between us is not our love, but his love. And that's what's so amazing about Jesus is he gathers a bunch of sinners like us who came to him so weak and so discouraged and we still struggle with sin and discouragement and by grace, he organizes us into an army. Not an army for fighting, but an army for love and truth. A Christ-centered institution that teaches people, that forms people in the love of Jesus, that reaches to those who are outside and who is knit together by his tender love for sinners. This is not ultimately our work. It is his. So may we trust him as we give ourselves to his mission. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we praise you, Lord that uh, you are a God on mission that not only created this beautiful world, but you pursue broken sinners like us. You call us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You restore us. You strengthen us. And then you bring us to a family, a church where we're taught and we learn how to live and we learn what it means to be loved and to love others. And uh, Lord, uh, we long to be that kind of community. And we see in, in your word, this isn't our work, it's your work. What a relief to us. And I pray for those who are here. I pray for those who are pouring, pouring out and toiling and struggling that need to be poured into. Would you pour into them? You know the ways. I pray for those that are, are, have calories coming in and need new ways to serve and to toil for your kingdom. Open those doors for them. Inspire them and encourage them in their work. And Lord, above all, may you train us as a church that we would always, as we received you, as sinners in finding you to be our friends, would, would we walk that way through our whole lives and always treasure your grace. We pray in Christ's name, amen.